this morning, actually really this next few weeks, Josh and I are really excited to be talking through some of our vision and, and mission and where we really believe the Lord is leading us as a church, as a community. Um, and so what better place to start with like why, why we're doing all this. And so I want to roll just a quick video. I don't know if you guys know who the comedian Michael Jr. is. Uh, but this is um, just one of our favorite comedians and just kind of a, a great video to kick us off this morning. So the, the series is called How Do I Know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next thing they say is what? How do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what. The key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to, we were in, uh, we in Winston-Salem. So break time, this is how it works. I travel the country, I do stand-up comedy, probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then... Uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick, if you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. 
The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. Yeah, let's all sing the hood version of, of worship after the service, okay? Jackie, can you lead us in the hood version? <laughs> so if you've ever like started a business or if you're the entrepreneur type or if you're in the entertainment industry um, or you just have like a nature of the job that requires you to really be motivated, like to be self-motivated, you may have learned the hard way like I have that you have to really understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, that why is what fuels you when things get really hard or crappy or the money stops flowing or, you know, things are just hard. Your why can't be just making money because if the money stops coming in, then you have no reason to keep going. But if your why is having a lifestyle that allows you the freedom to do what you want to do, to travel, or if, you, if your why is simply providing for your family or your why is something... That, that really inspires you and that really motivates you, then that is what fuels you to, to, to continue on, to march on when things get really hard. So as our community, as our church community enters into this new phase of its life, we feel like um, it's really important to be unified in our mission and in our vision and in our community's values. Um, and so if, if you're familiar with what the, the vision and the mission and the values have been of Dwell for the past several years, this will sound really familiar. We just wanted to reframe a bit um, of what this looks like and what this sounds like as God is leading us um, into the future and add some pieces in that, that we feel like are really important to what God wants to do in and among our community. So over the next six weeks, Josh and I are going to talk about these things. We're going to talk through what our mission is, what it means to be a community that's on mission together. And mission is one of those words that can mean something different to different people. So we're going to define these things and, and kind of talk through what this means for Dwell Church and for us as a community. But as we dive into this, I think the first place to start is always why. Like why why is this important? Why is this our goal? Why do we meet together? Why, is, why does Dwell Church exist? For what purpose are we here? So that's what we're talking about today, our why. Why do we do the things that we do? This why is what directs our vision. Our vision informs our mission, and um, as well as the values that uphold us as a community. And so um, we've spent really the last several weeks working through um, our vision and mission, and this is kind of what we've come up with. Our vision um, is to see the transformation of the city of Los Angeles through a missional movement of believers serving and showing the love of Jesus in our communities. Our mission, um, or if, if you think of our vision, our vision is like the long game. Like, what does the future look like? What are we working towards together as a community? Um, so what is our purpose in gathering together and being a community of believers. We're not just gathering to have services every week. We have a greater um, goal, a greater end in mind. So our mission is how we see that vision come to life. How do we put parts to that? How do we put feet to that vision and see that come to life? So our mission then is to grow in our love for God and our love for others through the practice of the spiritual disciplines, intentional acts of love toward our neighbors, and obedience to Jesus' command to make disciples. 
So um, this is kind of what we're going to be talking through, what we're going to be wrestling with over the next several weeks and sharing not just, you know, what these things are, why they're important to us, but how that really plays out in our church community moving forward. So this morning our main text is from Matthew 22. We're going to look at a few other passages as well, but this is going to be the main text that we are um, going to be examining. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible or app, you can do that, but it's going to be on the screen for you as well. So our text uh, is the Great Commandment, Matthew 22, uh, 34 through 40. So let me just give you a picture of the, the setting here. Jesus has been having um, in these, uh, these chapters of Matthew leading up to Matthew 22 to the Great Commandment, he's kind of been having these back and forth discussions with several Jewish teachers of the law in Israel. And because they don't like Jesus, they have genuinely, like, they have a problem with him. And the things that, that he is doing, they're always trying to trap him with these really clever arguments and, and um these, these dialogues that they have with him. But Jesus is always outwitting them, making them look bad in front of their friends, and he's um, making them think a, about the bigger picture. And he's just kind of hushed this group of religious leaders called the Sadducees who were arguing with him over something really trivial regarding what they um, thought of as the future resurrection, which the, the Sadducees didn't even believe in anyway. So they're arguing with him about something that they, they don't even really believe. Um, so 30, verse 34 says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees' problem with Jesus is that he always seems to be contradicting them, making them look bad, telling them that they're hypocrites, and, and, and he's hanging out with people that they felt he shouldn't be hanging out with. Um, and he was really a threat to their authority, uh, which made them upset, not just because he had a huge following of people, but because his influence was shaking up their whole system. He was totally messing everything up for them. They had a really pretty a good thing going. They had religious authority uh, in their Jewish community. They had a lot of leeway with the Roman Empire, who was the, the dominant empire at the time, and, and the, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, was subject to the Roman Empire. Um, and so he's not only threatening their security with the government, uh, but he's also threatening their entire worldview and everything that they understand about the law and the prophets. He is shaking up their entire system. And he has this huge following, and so his influence is a threat to their influence. So because they value these, this intellectual discussion and philosophy, they're always trying to outsmart and trap Jesus with these arguments in order to diminish his influence, and their goal is, originally, is eventually to get rid of him altogether. They also don't realize, they haven't had this revelation that Jesus is God, and he's got a lot better handle on the teachings of Scripture than they do. And so in these back-and-forth dialogues with them, Jesus doesn't back down from their traps. You know, Jesus is, is a, a, a peacemaker in the most active kind of way, but he's not, he's not passive. He is very active, and he engages. 
He knows that they're trying to trap him, but he charges forward and he's always kind of leaving them with their proverbial tails between their legs. And so Jesus answers this question, what is the greatest commandment, knowing that they're trying to trap him with this answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisees who are testing Jesus, they may have expected him to answer this question um, in this kind of manner, because this command is deeply ingrained in Jewish history and, and faith. But Jesus throws this kicker in there. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's saying that everything that you do, every, every command that is in the law, it's wrapped up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it goes all the way back to the, nearly to the beginning of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God is preparing Israel to enter into the land that he had been promising them for hundreds of years. So Israel had been delivered from their captivity in Egypt uh, after more than 400 years. They spend 40 years in the desert of the Middle East when God gives them the Ten Commandments. And before they take possession of the land that God is leading them into, Moses reminds them of all the commands that God has given them up to this point. Remember that they have been in captivity for over 400 years. And so all of what they know about the things that God has told them to do is, has kind of been lost because their identity has, has been wrapped up in their captivity as slaves of Egypt, not as the, the nation of Israel and of God's people. So Moses reminds them of these commands that God has given them since they've been in the desert, and then they're given this great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And in a long speech that Moses gives Israel, he instructs them to keep the commands of God so that you may be kept alive. And that's, that's a really interesting piece. In Luke chapter 10, there's another telling of the great commandment where Jesus is kind of having this back and forth with the religious teachers, and somebody asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, what do, what, do the, what do the scriptures say? How do you read it? And this Pharisee says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So it kind of echoes what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you do these things, you will be kept alive. So here is where the breakdown is for so many of the religious teachers and, and the religious people, is that they have understood the law and the commandments as being the way to life and salvation, but they've not understood that it is the God who gives the law that is the way to life and salvation. God gave these commands and laws to Israel to distinguish them from the rest of the world and to be a testimony that their God is the one true God. So when God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. When God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, he brings Moses up onto this mountain, meets with him face to face to give him instructions on how to lead Israel and what to tell them. And every time he came down the mountain, the Bible says that because he'd been face to face with God, that his face was so vibrant and glowing to the point that people could not even look at him. So he had to wear a veil until this glow wore off. And the people of Israel saw what had happened to Moses and how he had changed and been transformed every time he comes down from the mountain after being with God. And it scared them. And they told Moses, look, 
Every time you're on the mountain, you come down and you look different. And we hear all this thunder and lightning and we see this fire and it is totally freaking us out. It is way too much for us. How are we even still alive right now? Like seriously, how are we alive right now? So we can't take this. No more. Like from now on, you just go up on that mountain, you talk to God, tell us what to do, and we'll do whatever you tell us to. Like this is too much for us. This is really freaking us out. So the Israelites have seen this undeniable evidence of God. Now they've been let out of Israel, like, or they've been let out of Egypt 40 years prior, right? Um, with this, like, these supernatural acts of God. They wander in the desert for 40 years. They see God. They see evidence of God. And it freaks them out so much that they're like, no, we can't take this. You just tell us what to do and we'll do it. But having seen this undeniable evidence of the one true God, hearing his voice and seeing his great power, they told Moses, don't make us be subject to this any longer. It's too much for us. So what happens is the people of Israel, they embrace God's commands for a time, but because they choose not to enter, not to encounter, excuse me, the living God on this real and personal level, they cling to the commandments, but the commandments themselves don't lead to life. God leads to life. The commandments are not life. God is. But by choosing to cling to the commandments rather than to cling to God, they have not understood the why behind what they're doing. They haven't really experienced and encountered this transformational um, love and, and power of God. And because they didn't understand that it's God, not the commandments, that brings life, they failed to grasp the spirit and the true meaning for the commands that God has given them in the first place, and it leads them into all kinds of trouble. They lose sight over and over again of who they are and why God has chosen them to reveal himself to the world. Time and time again, they end up compromising their integrity and worshiping, worshiping other gods because they have not truly known the one true God who gives them these, these commandments. So here's where this connects to us at Dwell. It's great if we can say, look, our why, why do we do these things? Why are we a church? Why do we exist? Why are we working in the city of L.A.? Why have we continued to meet together? The reason is, that our, is, is because of our love for God and our love for people. But what, is it really, what does that really mean for us as a community and as individuals to love God and love others as a church? And why does it matter so much that we understand that and that we really intrinsically embrace this as a community? I think that it's really easy to pass up the opportunity to know God the way that the Israelites passed up their opportunity to know God personally. God is constantly revealing himself all the time in all kinds of different ways. And we have so many opportunities, I feel like, to encounter him. And when we do, when we choose to look at him, when we choose to gaze upon his power and we choose um, to see his glory and his power and his love, it transforms us into somebody different than who we were before. Once we see God, once we encounter him in that way, we can't go back to a time before we encountered God. Like we have this awareness of him and this, this unveiling where we can now see who he is and we can no longer go back to a time where we said we don't know who God is. And so we are... Number one, we're transformed by the knowledge, just the knowledge of him. But we're also transformed by this experience that we've had with the one true God. 
Because his presence and his power are transformative, and it burns away these layers and layers of junk that we just don't realize that we allow to build up in our lives over time. And in, that, in these moments when we see God, we just simply see him for who he is. We see his goodness and his power and his glory and his love, and we see ourselves the way that we were created to be. Because in God's presence, we are restored. God's presence is restorative, and he is the way to life. So the power that gives life is in the relationship with God. It's not in the law. It's not in following God's commands. We can embrace the teachings of God that command us to do all these good things, to to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to uphold these values, to serve the poor and, and, and the widows and the orphans and take care of people and and, and uphold good and just causes. We would call these things Christian values. But we can, we can uphold these things and champion these things and follow these commands without really truly knowing the God that gives us these commands, without really truly knowing Christ at all. And then what we have is a kingdom without a king. We have Christendom, not Christianity. We have our, our cultural identity as Christians, but not the true transformative power of walking with Christ, of being in Christ. So the problem is these values and these good things in and of themselves, they don't lead to life and restoration for us or for anyone else. Only in Christ is there true justice and true restoration and true freedom and eternal life. And the salvation is not in the good works that we do. We know this, right? Like, we know that salvation is not in works. But it can be really easy to pass out the opportunity to encounter this God and to uphold these values that we embrace and to to continue doing these things without really remembering, like, why are we doing this? It is because of the transforming love and power of God. I want to share with you a little bit about my why, like why I'm in ministry today, um, why I am still a believer after 10 years, and what is the thing that, that motivates me. I got saved when I was in grad school. I grew up in church, um, but ran away from the Lord for a multitude of reasons for a very, very long time. And when I was in grad school, my um, life just kind of um, I don't even want to say took a turn. It wasn't that dramatic. It was very gradual. But I, I found myself just empty and in some circumstances that were um, just not good. Um, I had some health issues going on. I had had just a series of bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. And I found, my, found myself in this season of my life where I was depressed and I was broken and I was completely and totally empty. And um, I woke up one morning, and I realized I have to do something different with my life. And so I found myself, for whatever reason, in church one Wednesday evening. I don't even really know how I got there. I just ended up there. And um, that night, as I was there, God began to just do something in my life. I don't even know what he did. He just began to crack open something that had been closed for a really, really long time. And for the first time, maybe in my entire life, I felt seen and loved in a way that I never had before. And um, and so, you know, I was experiencing this love of God, this transformational 
grace of the Lord for the very first time. And it was about two months later that um, I sensed God beginning to call me into the ministry. And um, specifically, he was calling me on, onto the mission field. And so I, I thought, well, this is really exciting. Like, I don't even know how I know if this is God speaking to me or if this is just something that's like coming out of left field that I want to do. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to stay in this church. I'm going to, I'm going to finish grad school. I'm going to do these things. And, you know, I'm going to prepare myself over the next few years to fulfill this call that God is placing on, that I, that I believe that God is placing on my life. The following Sunday, I did not told anybody about this. The following Sunday, I get to church, and um, it's kind of the end of service, and my pastor, who's just this really sweet older guy, is just kind of staring at me from across the room. And I'm kind of like, why is he staring at me? But um, he walks over to me, and he says, I don't know what this means, but I just see missions written over your head like a banner. And... um, and I said, okay. And, um, and he said, do you mind if I, if I pray for you? And I said, sure. And, and so what he didn't know is that over this past, that past week, I had really been praying, like, Lord, if this is you, I don't know how to be a missionary. I don't know how to be a Christian even. Like, I don't even know how to, I don't even know if this is really you. Like, how do I even know how to go and communicate this to somebody if, like, I don't even really know if you exist, you know? I mean, I was just wrestling with all these things. And so as my pastor began praying over me, what was really happening, ha- happening is that he was prophesying over me. And it's just amazing how God works through somebody when they're faithful um, to speak when God speaks. Because as he began this, like, prophesying over my life, I realized that everything that I had prayed to God in the order that I had prayed it, God gave a specific answer through this pastor. And it was so specific that it was, it was, it was the moment, it was the, the moment of my life that I felt like God gave me this incredible gift of faith. God didn't have to do that for me, but he chose to. And he knew that in all my years of ministry and in, in, in the years um, to come, that I would need that confirmation and faith to fall back on when things got tough. And when I would wake up in the mornings and think, am I totally deluded? And is all of this just a huge lie? And God would say, no, remember that time. Remember that time. You can't deny what I've done in your life. There's, you know, you may not understand everything, but this is your why. This is how you know. Number one, that I am who my word says that I am. And number two, that I am calling you to do this. And I am sending other people into your life to bring this confirmation. So this is my why. Um, This is the work that God has called me to. These are the things that he has confirmed in my life. So I am extremely passionate about other people encountering God in this way because I know the transforming power of his love and of his grace. So the thing that holds me together is my why. The thing that has to hold us together as a community is our why. We have to be able to encounter and experience the true God like this together in order for for that why to be able to hold us together. And our why is that God has brought us salvation and restoration, and he has brought us from death to life. And why? 
Like, let's, let's just be like a, a toddler for a minute and just ask these why, 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 why questions, okay? Why has he done this? Why does it matter, you know, so much that he, um, that he has come to do all this? Why would he go out of his way to do all these things? The Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and, and, and disciples, said, we loved him because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He's done this out of his deep and fierce love for us as his people. Why? I don't know. I don't know why he loves us so much, but he does. And he loves us so much that he was motivated to come. He was motivated to send his son and motivated to, to, to stick his neck out for us in ways that we will never be able to understand. So love in the greatest sense, is best understood in the way that God has loved us. If we love him because he first loved us, he gave himself so that we could have life in him. You know, our cultural understanding of love is so um, just small. Like, we reduce love to feelings of affection or fondness to somebody. But the love of God is truly, it is, I have no other word than that is incomprehensible. It's so big and so vast and so beyond our understanding as humans that we cannot truly comprehend it. And there's nothing that we've experienced in this life that is like it. And so just talking about God's love doesn't do God's love justice. We have to be wrapped up in it and enveloped in it and be able to encounter that because there are not words to adequately express and describe what God's love is like and truly who he is. So until we experience and encounter that love, his love for ourselves, we cannot really and truly internalize it, nor can we communicate what his love is truly like to anybody else. And his love is risky. Like, his love motivated him to put himself in danger. He didn't spare any risk or expense in demonstrating that love to us. The almighty God of creation, he left his throne to walk with a broken and ravaged humanity to proclaim the kingdom of God and the love of God, and then he suffered unspeakable things, died, was raised three days later for the purpose of bringing salvation and restoration to this broken and ravaged humanity for which he came. God's love is risky, it is demanding and it is dangerous. It was constantly leading Jesus into these scenarios that were, con that were forcing him to escape persecution and physical violence and love eventually gets Jesus killed, as we know. So this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And now Jesus says to us, go and do likewise. Now, thankfully, it's not on us to bring atoning sacrifice for people's sins. He's already done that. That is not our responsibility. But when we understand for ourselves this transforming love and grace of God, we then receive this command from God to go and share this love, to go and love the Lord our God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so how does this love for God and love for neighbor work out practically in our lives, individually, but also for dwell as a community? So in the Luke version of the greatest commandment, um, there are two stories that follow immediately after this 
that I believe are really good illustrations. And, and, and I believe that Luke was really intentional about this. He was kind of illustrating what Jesus meant when he said to love your neighbor and, and love your God. The first one is um, directly connected, and it's about the Good Samaritan. We're going to get there in just a minute. The first, the, the first one I'm going to talk about, though, is about Mary, um, Mary of Mary and Martha, the story of Mary and Martha. Most of us probably know this story pretty well, but Mary was somebody who was deeply touched by the ministry of Jesus, and, and as a result, she became one of his disciples to the point where she traveled with him and she, she supported him out of her own means. And one day, she and her sister Martha had Jesus and his other disciples into their home, and it was customary for the women of the home um, to prepare the meal and, and to serve the people that came over. And to host someone like Jesus in your home with his followers. I mean, he was a very well-known rabbi, and it was a great honor for them to, to do this. And so Mary, though, couldn't be found in the kitchen helping Martha. She was rather at the feet of Jesus, who was teaching. Um, and so this posture of somebody sitting at the feet of a rabbi takes the posture of a disciple, which is just holy. Like, the, that Luke even includes this in the Gospels. is so, like... Um, revolutionary for people of um, of this time because it was just not a it was not a place that women were welcome or encouraged women just were not taught women weren't taught these things and they were not invited in, into these relationships first of all that's a whole different story but when Martha complains to Jesus that her sister has left her to do all the work by herself Jesus says look Martha your sister has chosen the only thing that matters, and it won't be taken away from her. The fact that she is at Jesus' feet, she's here, she's with him, she's listening, she's soaking in everything that he says. He says, this is the most important thing. And it won't be taken away from her. Well, experiencing this love of God drives us continually back to him to receive more of his love, more of his freedom, more of his presence. So what does it look like for us to sit at Jesus' feet? How long has it been since we've just come to him to talk with him about what's on our minds, about your needs or your dreams? Maybe it's been a while since you've really spent time with him, or maybe you've never done this before. But I want to encourage you that he is a never-ending well of everything that you could ever possibly need or imagine. He is fullness of joy. He's comfort for grief. He's provision for every need. He's hope and distress. And he will fill and fulfill your life in ways that you could not even imagine to ask. So staying close to God is the way that we love him. Feasting on his presence and on his word. Gathering together with a community of people to celebrate and worship together. This fosters an intimacy with God. And in that space, we experience more and more of his love continually as he reveals himself continually to us. But it's hard to pray, and it's hard to worship, and it's hard to spend time with the Lord when you don't really understand why you're doing it. But experiencing that love continually is the thing that drives us and, and holds us together.
The Good Samaritan is the story that Jesus shares right after he shares the great, or right after he has this conversation with the, with the Pharisee about the great commandment. And it's kind of like as this conversation is, is ending with this person, I almost imagine like, you know, Jesus is walking away and, you know, they talk about like loving your God and, and loving your neighbor. And Jesus is like walking away and this Pharisee's like, so who's my neighbor? You know, almost like as a, as a way to justify um, an exception to this rule. And so Jesus knows his heart as he always does, and he tells this parable of a man who's been beaten and robbed and lying on the ground, half dead, and these two religious leaders of Israel pass by him on their way. They don't stop. They go out of their way to pass by him. And finally, a Samaritan comes upon the poor man and picks him up, takes him to an inn, pays for his, exper- for his expenses, and he tells the innkeeper to look after the man. Now, Samaritans and Jews hated each other, for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to get into this morning. But Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero in this story. Not the others. He, he, not the others, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of these robbers. And so to love others has nothing to do with affection or fond feelings, and it has everything to do with looking out for the needs of other people. And this... Um, This is talked about, I feel like, again and again and again in the letters of the New Testament. In Philippians, where Paul says, Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value other people above yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of other people. And Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. God's love is big, and it's risky, and, and it causes us to sometimes stick our necks out for people in ways that cost us something. But in John 13, Jesus says that the world will know we are Christ's followers when we love like this. Um, Jackie and Topher, just, I, don't, I don't know who's closing, but you all can come on back up. So what is the way that we treat other people? What does that tell the world? Like, what kind of message does it send to the people of Santa Monica and Los Angeles? If we live like this, if we stuck our necks out for people when we get nothing in return, even when people hate us, when we love in a costly manner the way that Christ has loved us, Love is expensive, but this is what Jesus has said. When you love this way, people know that you are my followers. But it's hard to love this way if we don't know why we're loving this way. It's hard to be motivated to to stick our necks out for people knowing that we might get nothing in return if we don't have a really good why. And if our why is not wrapped up in who God himself is and our personal experience with his love and his kindness and his grace, it's really hard to keep that up. And so our prayer and our goal is that our church would be unified in our why, that we would be unified in experiencing God together. We would be unified in voice, in vision, in mission, 
and we would be unified in being able to, to support one another as our community serves the world in this extremely countercultural way. Because people will know that there is something different about Dwell Church when we begin to, to serve people this way. And we have one another. So when we are constantly loving people and, and serving people, and not getting that in return, we have God who loves us, and we have our community who loves us, right? And so this is part of the really important reason that we gather together. It is to worship, it is to celebrate what God is doing, but it is also to support one another and to build each other up. This love for God and for neighbor is not just an ideology, it is a lifestyle. It's not how we do what we do. It is the reason that we do it. And it doesn't just inform the way that we vote or give us a framework for our belief system. It is the driving force behind the way that we interact with God and with other people. But it has to come first from this experiencing God's love for ourselves. And if we haven't experienced that, then we haven't understood what his love is like. And no matter how zealous we are in following his ways, the commands are not the way to life. Jesus is the way to life. So I don't know if you've ever experienced God's love in this way, in this real transformative way. But I want to invite you this morning as we sing this last song together, maybe to encounter God's love in this way for the first time. Or maybe it's just been a long time. Or maybe you just have a need to know that he sees you this morning, that he knows your needs, he knows your heart, he knows your hurts and your pain. I want you to know that there is grace and healing and hope for you beyond what you can think of this morning. And he wants to demonstrate that to you in a deeper way than you've known before. Often we carry these hurts and these experiences from the past that leave us jaded or just on guard and we grow so accustomed to carrying this heavy load that we don't even realize that we're carrying it anymore maybe it's been years or months but Jesus says to all of us who are weary and burdened he says come to me let me take this heavy load off of your shoulders my yoke he says my burden is light and it's easy. So let me take yours and I will give you rest. He's here with us this morning to demonstrate this love to us, to take away our burdens and to give us freedom. Please don't pass out the opportunity to be with God today. like me to pray with you, I would be honored. I'm going to be over here just praying and singing. Just come grab me. Let's sing this last song together and respond to the Lord's love this morning.
said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And so his model for ministry and for missions and for church was this multiplying movement of people. This is the mission of God, that we would be a people that sends out churches, that makes disciples. And we really and truly believe that God is painting, painting a picture for us of what, is that gonna, what that's going to look like through Dwell Church. And it's really exciting to see some of this vision beginning to come to life. I fully and completely believe that within the next five years, we're going to see God do some absolutely incredible things through Dwell Church. But it's really important to be grounded in the reason that we're doing this work. Because if we can get lost in the work itself, we can get lost in seeing the results. We can get lost in a lot of things and lose sight of who God is. And it's, it's all about him. It's not about us. So as we labor together, as we pray together, this is the reason that we do these things. We have really sensed like God is leading us to start praying very specifically and strategically for our church and for the community of Los Angeles that we are in. And so we want to be unified in the things that we're doing and we want the whole community of Dwell to be on board and to come along with us in this, but we first we first have to get the really good foundation of why are we doing what we're doing. So as we share for the next several weeks this mission and the vision that God has given for this kind of movement of mission in Los Angeles, let's remember that this is the why behind what we're doing. We love you guys so much. We are so honored to be serving you as your pastors. Um, please contact us anytime. If you want to grab coffee, just have a phone call, text us, whatever. You can get our information from the website or from Facebook. We'll see you guys next week. We love you guys.